Welcome to Welcome Heart, Living a Legacy Life podcast. My name is Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com. What better legacy than to open our hearts to God and open our lives and homes to others? Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so happy today to introduce you to my friend, Jerry Dugan, a fellow Christian podcaster, and he is out of Dallas. Is that right, Jerry? That's correct. Right. And tell us a little bit about your family and then your podcast as well. And then we're going to talk about legacy. I can't wait. All right. So um, I am somehow married. Uh, this will be the 21st year in November. of. I have to remember that line. I'm somehow married. <laughs> <laughs> somehow. And she hadn't fired me yet. So no, she hasn't fired me yet. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I interrupted you. How long have you been married? Uh, this year will be 21 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Olivia and I, uh, we met while we were both in the army stationed in Germany. Wow. And uh, yeah, little, little tiny post in the middle of what looked like nowhere. And um, we just both thought, man, we're never going to find love. And then we were like right there. So wow, I love that story. And were you in the army, the Marines? Uh, The army. Yeah, we were both medics. We were in the same platoon. Uh, We met when I had returned from a deployment to Kosovo. And, uh, you know, me being a young man in the army, I had this plan to like just date a lot as soon as I got back, you know, there's a lot of pent up energy. I'm like, yes, I'm going to go and be a, you know, what a worldly man does. And my (laughs) wife, was like the first person I met when I got off the bus and she's like, Oh, Hey, you're really nice. And I like your glasses. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, cool. You're really nice. Wow. And uh, that kind of ended my conquest. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize it for at least a month, maybe two months. And, mm. and then I just realized like um, I'm always trying to talk to her and uh, you know, I even got assigned to be like her mentor in a way. Cause I was like one of the closest things our unit had to a war veteran because 9-11 hadn't happened yet. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I was assigned to be her mentor, like, Hey, you know, show her what you learned while you were in Kosovo. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I think everybody else who got paired up had shared everything they had learned within a week or two. Mm-hmm. And I'd shared everything within a matter of days. I'm like, okay, I'm out of content. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. let me. But you still wanted to spend time with her. Yes. So I was like grabbing manuals and I'm, <laughs> I'm looking up things like you know what? I'm going to show her how to set up a field antenna for this radio. <laughs> like she We're really wanted to that. learn. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and then I was like, I'm going to show her how to set up a landing zone in case we ever have to medevac patients by helicopter. I'm going to show her how to, and I was like, I, I was trying to, I was like looking for and finding tasks left and right to teach her uh, at any given moment of the day. And so, you know, Fast forward about three months, I finally have the courage to ask her out. And she just looks at me and she's like, what took you so long? Oh, and I was like, what, what do you mean? What took me so long? She's like, Jerry, do you really think I wanted to hear about <laughs> how to set up a radio antenna in the middle of the field or like how to set up an infrared landing zone marker? I was like, you didn't? She goes, no, I only <laughs> listened to that because I like you. And I'm right. like, oh, Okay. <laughs> and so, what we do in, with young love, what we do, right, what we yeah. go through. That's so uh, wonderful. I mean, if what I were to try to do that today, I mean, well, there's yeah. still times now where she still indulges me and lets me just ramble on. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you're so cute. And I'm like, you didn't listen to a word I said, did mm-hmm. you? Just, no, not a word. <laughs> How she, was she a believer at the time? Uh, she was. I was and, not. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Huh. Surprise. Well, we're going to get, no, I'm going to get into that story. Um, 
I'm, I'm still laughing about I'm somehow married. Uh, <laughs> tell me, you have a couple kids. How old are they? Yes. Uh, so we have two kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Our son is turning 21 this year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you do the math on how long we've been married and how long our son's been around, very close. Um, and our daughter is 19. So Ooh, she's great. Yeah, she's my mini me. So, yeah, if you were to, yeah, imagine yeah. me, but in a teenage girl's body. I don't know. That sounded really weird when I said it. Now, but <laughs> I think yeah, we see, understand. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I have three daughters and they're all a little bit like me and sometimes to their chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your real job is organizational. I, yeah. I'm a director of an organizational effectiveness team. And mm-hmm. that basically means I have a small team that we're in charge of human resources training type stuff. So orientation for new employees, leadership development is the big thing that we do and uh, team building skills, communication skills, conflict management mm. type of education, um, intervention. So if somebody's struggling in their department, we kind of go in there and do kind of a needs assessment, see what the real root cause is of the, uh, the team issue that's going on, the people dynamics. Hmm. So you know, a lot of times when you hear organizational development, you might think it's more about the workflow, the process. We're more of the people focus what's going on among the people that's preventing the work from getting done Uh, also what's going on with the people that makes them very effective and let's pass that on to everybody else so that's what we do sounds like marriage counseling in groups a little Um, bit yeah a little bit yeah (laughs) tell me the name of your podcast is called beyond the rut which i love because we all get in ruts at different times i'm just going to read the description for everybody we share encouraging stories and practical tools i want to hear about some of those tools today uh, to pick you up out of your rut and into a life worth living, which is what I my podcast is all about, is living a life that's worth living from God's perspective, because life is too short to live stuck in a rut. Now, why did you begin this podcast? And, or maybe a better question is, were you in a rut ever? And that's why you started, or that's why you like to speak on this topic. Oh, man. Um Yes, to all the above. <laughs> and tell me about the rut you were stuck in. Just so a couple one. of ruts. The, the okay. big one was um, a financial one and realizing that my life was starting to fall into the trap of what's known as the rat race. So oh. I was about 30 years old. Uh, it was around, my, in fact, it was my birthday. I'd just woken up, 30 years old, hmm. married, two kids. We got our house with a mortgage. Um, and I just spent the whole previous year paying off a credit card debt. Good for you. That's good. Uh, Except on my birthday, I I was realizing that that entire balance was back to full. (gasps) Filled it back up uh, for Christmas, for my birthday, for my wife's birthday, for Valentine's Day. And I thought, I'm exactly where I was 12 months ago. Oh, wow. And and I was just looking at it from a monetary standpoint. And I thought, well, you know, if nothing changes, what does next year look like? Same thing. Mm. Uh, if the next year doesn't, and there's no change, what do we look like? Oh, it's probably going to be bigger debt. And the next year. And so I was realizing that we were just going to grow into our, um, our pay increases. We were going to go further in debt. And uh, I, I just had this like overwhelming pressure that I was putting myself into a, a um, state of bondage. And mm. Uh, I was in a men's, ministry, uh, men's group, actually a Bible study, and, and we just happened to cover the, the segment in scripture that talks about how the, uh, the borrower slave to the lender. Hmm. And, and I started hearing this guy named Dave Ramsey on the radio and I just oh, thought, yeah. wow, 
Um, what I really want to do is reach out to people, help people live their best lives, and I can't afford to do it. And, uh, and, and so that started my aha. That was my aha moment as far as, yeah, I've got to continue uh, getting better at life. And it looks like money is a part of that. And, and so that was my rut that I've been working on for a long while. Gary, uh, I want to interrupt you a little bit because yeah. I just want to commend you, or I guess it's a praise to God at the same time that he gives us those aha moments that we actually listened. I mean, it helps to have birthdays or Christmas or New Year's so that we stop and think, hmm, is this year going to be the same? But we don't always pay attention. And mm. you paid attention. And uh, you might have felt bad. Oh, I'm back in the rut again. But you paid attention. And it made all the difference. So anyone who's listening today and thinking, wow, I'm the same way. I, I'm paying more. I mean, I remember when we got married and I wanted a bigger house than what we had because I wanted a bigger kitchen. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be one of those ugly Americans that say, okay, now that I'm married and now I have one kid, now I need a bigger house. Mm -hmm. And also because my husband's from Iowa and he could actually live in a tent and he would be fine. So I didn't want to be one of those people, but I still cried out to the Lord and said, I still want a bigger kitchen. So it happened eventually, but um, and then a 13 year remodel and we're still married. But the idea is, is that I, you don't want to be someone who's just continually grasping as Tim Keller calls it. I heard it in a message the other day, the cosmic disappointment. We are not meant to be fulfilled with those things, this side of heaven. Exactly. And so uh, I think it's just a beautiful thing that you listened that day. And then you mentioned another rut. Um, that was the main one. Uh, but the one prior to that was uh, just, Actually, it, it kind of ties in because I was going to tell you that, you know, even though I had that aha moment financially, uh, it's only recently that we've started to experience financial freedom. And, and so we're talking about almost 20 years later. Mm. Uh, but yeah, just around feeling like I am good enough to go do a thing and achieve. Oh. And so, and, and I think anybody who knows me from like elementary school, middle school or high school would be like, What? And it's like, yeah, I, I never felt like I was good enough to deserve a higher income, to deserve a happy family life. Um, and so finding contentment, I think, took some time as well. And so, you know, from a faith level, I think, and... Um, it seems almost two different things, though. You say about finding contentment, but also feeling like not a, a sense of entitlement, like, mm -hmm. oh, I deserve, um, I deserve this. But, the, but there's some deep wounds there that you're speaking from deep wounds. If you think that you don't like, I guess I really don't deserve to even make an impact on anybody. That's yeah. you're speaking from wounds there. So describe where that came from. Oh, man. But we only have 20 minutes. Have 20 minutes left. So let's, <laughs> take a, let's see if I were to give you the short version. So uh, the life of Jerry Dugan in five minutes. Um, I was born to uh, a military guy, a military okay. policeman. Uh, he was married to um, a woman from Thailand. They met in Thailand, um, except she really didn't love him, uh, turns out. And, and so for my mom, though, I guess there was always an intent to leave and, and go live her own life. And at the same time, she felt like if I'm going to do that, my kids need to be prepared. And so there was kind of like this weird training, like, Jerry, you got to be smart. You got to have the best grades. You got to be the smartest in class. You got to be the fastest in class. And so there was always this drive to be the top in the class and um, not being were, the top. Was never were good. you living in the States? 
uh, uh, both. So we okay. moved around a lot. I lived in Japan, Germany, California. Um, so we moved around a lot. I, I got used to living in a new place every two to three years. It's uh, tough. I think yeah. it's tough. Oh, it yeah. makes you resilient though. It does. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's still tough. I think where a lot of it really comes in is when my parents divorced when I was 11, they split. Uh, my dad, you know, he, uh, he became suicidal. And so like, we're trying to, you know, keep him from not dying because we're staying, my brother and I are staying with my dad. Um, so yeah, nine-year-old, 11-year-old having to become suicide prevention experts without any training, any expertise. And this was like our dark secret. We got to hide from everybody. And, uh, so, you know, God got us through this. And, uh, I mean, I, can now look back and see where his hand was in it every, you know, every single moment. Um, but so we come back from Germany, which is where my dad was when, when he was suicidal. And um, turns out I've got uncles getting divorced. I've got cousins who are kind of being picked on by their uncles. And, and so they all got to take it out somewhere. And so from about 11 years old until, gosh, well into my early 20s, very common to hear my cousins, my uncles, my grandfather say things like, you know, books will never get you a job. Um, you know, why are you trying? You know, a college degree is never going to get you anywhere. Um, why are you going out for sports? That's just for losers and people who just wow. don't have a life. Yeah. So a lot of the things that I wanted to go do in life, um, you know, have to hear it from the people who are supposed to love you and be a part of your life are talking you down. Hmm. And, you know, of course, looking back, it's because I represented everything that told them their lives weren't going well. Right. But so, you didn't have the perspective then because you were a kid. I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> hurt, so hurtful. Our words can bruise and wound for years to come. Yeah. So what helped you through that? Um, a combination of just having some courage where at the time mm -hmm. I didn't know where it was coming from, but you know, at 14 years old, drawing a line in the sand and saying, I am not going to be like, any of these folks who are just down and out and have given up on life. Like there's, what's the point? Um, and I think that that might've been the thing, like asking myself at 14, what is the point if um, this is the existence to live in a dirty house with all your family who just pick on each other and have no hope. Um, but suicide wasn't an option for me because I'd just seen my dad three years prior attempting that. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to be an option. Um, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be strong. And, and somewhere in this, I came across the, the motto for the Dugan family. Hmm. So it turns out there is one. And it turns out there's a history to the Dugan family. How did you find it? I don't know, because it was before the internet. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and, and so maybe, maybe it's something my grandmother held on to. Hmm. Um, maybe it was, but somewhere uh, I learned that the Dugans go back to a chieftain family in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so Dugan's a variation of that ancient name that I couldn't even pronounce. Um, but at some point between the 1300s and the 1700s, the family crest picks up a motto by virtue hmm. and valor. And when I learned that, I held on to that. I'm like, I'm going to live my life by virtue and valor. Wow. Uh, most teenagers don't even know what the word valor means, I would think. Oh, yeah, I probably and, vir <laughs> and virtue is not something they're very interested in because they want to have more fun on the weekends. Right. Yeah. No. So, wow. That, I, th <laughs> I think that may have been if you weren't a believer, then you weren't a churchgoer. So I think God was just putting his finger on your shoulder oh, yeah. and saying, uh, Jerry, you go this way. I know the rest of your family is going this way. I mean, 
You say you have courage, but God had mercy. Oh, oh, big time. Big time. Big time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I realized how much of a hand God had in my life until I was at least 20. No, I became a believer when I was 27. Hmm. Maybe I was older, 28. But the aha moment, actually, I think the aha moment happened around 30. So close to that time when I had that wake up call about I'm in the rat race, um, there was just that realization that um, oh, a combination of things. Um, so I'm like, I want to tell five stories at the same time. All right. we're on time. So uh, it was this realization. So like when I was in the army, uh, the last few months I was in, I get sent to a place called uh, Kuwait and because we're about to invade a place called Iraq. And I mean, I was a short timer. So bags packed, ready to go back to the States because I didn't re-enlist that kind of short timer. Uh, And at the last second, I get stop lost. Uh, Hey, Sergeant Dugan, you're going to war after all. And I'm thinking about the war movies where the short timer always dies. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make this. I'm the short timer. I'm already thinking about home. My daughter's going to be born in April. And, wow. Um, oh, this sucks. It was a good run. <laughs> and and so the night that we're about to invade Iraq, I remember uh, taking my atheist, agnostic, whatever you want to call itself, and I said a prayer, and it was uh, basically, hey, God, if you're real, and, and before I said this prayer, I had already written a letter home, you know, like in the movies, like we yeah. swap letters with our buddy. So if something happens to me, my buddy will send the letter home. It's my final farewell. Well, I didn't want to put that burden on my buddy because my buddy also reported to me. And the worst thing to do is to have your boss hand you a letter. Hey, in case I die, can you send right. that home for me? It's like, wait, what if I die? Yeah, so exactly. I, I couldn't convey that. So I couldn't put that on Casey. And, I, and so I wrote my letter home one last time. Um, but I disguised it because I didn't want to freak out my family, but it was sure. basically my farewell. So I knew if I go or when I go, I will have said what I felt. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. Peanut from earlier trying to kill me. <laughs> Woo. And take you can't time. edit. So that's take, all in there. Take your time. <laughs> I'm like, I should have gotten that glass of water when I had the chance. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, right. And you've got it all the way over there in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good here in Dallas. <laughs> so uh, I'd written my letter home, disguised it as well. But I knew that I would have shared with my wife how I felt about her. My son would know when he reads it eventually. And my daughter, who was on the way, would also read this someday. Mm-hmm. So that's there. Um, but then for some reason, I feel like I need to make sure all my bases are covered here. Because I don't think I'm coming home. Wow. So then that's when I say, God, hey, if you're real, this is what you're going to do. Uh, when I die, you're going to replace me with somebody who's going to love my wife better than I can. And you're going to replace me with a man who's going to raise my children as if they were his own. And my children would not know the difference. Wow. That's all I got for you. I don't, I don't even think I said amen or anything. Cause I was just telling him what he needs to do. This is what you need. So to do. you were actually telling him what to do. You were oh, telling yeah. him what you wanted to do for him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, if you're real, this is what you're going to do. And, and then I just prepared myself, got suited up in my chemical suit. And I think within an hour or two of that, we're firing artillery into Iraq. And a couple hours after that, we're invading the country. Hmm. Um, Well, that was in March, July of that year. I'm coming home and I'm thinking, huh, I didn't die. (laughs) Uh, Well, God, yeah, yeah. You're off the hook. 
if you're out there. I uh, didn't even think about that deal. I, oh, I thought about the deal a little bit, like, huh, I didn't die. That's interesting. I get home. It's our homecoming ceremony where they play, you know, the patriotic music the, with the band and everything. And it's, it's late at night, like one in the morning. My wife is driving with myself and uh, our baby girl in one car. My son's in another car with my mom and my stepdad and my brother. So two cars going back to the house. And my wife is telling me, hey, I got I to gotta tell you something and please don't be mad. So I'm automatically thinking what our chaplain told us while we were still in Baghdad, which is, hey, guys, remember all that tax-free money you're expecting to have when you come home? Talking specifically to the married guys. Uh, none of that money is going to be there. Mm. Oh, <laughs> that's harsh. And he said, here's why. Either A, your wife bought a whole bunch of new furniture for the house. and you <laughs> it. So you say, thank you. And you just, <laughs> just deal with it. You got new furniture, enjoy it, enjoy your family. That's what matters most. Now for others, she spent that money on Sancho <laughs> or Jody is what we call him in the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a boyfriend, and that's where mm-hmm. all the money went. Mm-hmm. In that case, say, thanks for telling me. Immediately call me. This is my phone number. Wow. And, and so uh, reach out to me. And we're like, okay, we got it, sir. Thank you. So mm-hmm. here's my wife saying, I've got something to tell you. Please don't be mad. I'm like, please let it be furniture. Please let it be furniture. <laughs> and I ask her, hey, is it furniture? Do we get new furniture? And she's like, yeah. Huh? How did, how did you know how we got you- new furniture? <laughs> That's so funny. That that chaplain was pretty smart. He, yeah, he called himself the the people's chaplain, and uh, he he uh, he actually knew his market. So he would go around telling folks he's the only chaplain who would use real wine, uh, real wine for communion. Mm-hmm. And you knew when he was preaching because that big circus tent had a line wrapped around uh, two or three times, and they were all waiting for communion. And it was like, do you guys even go to this church? <laughs> No, but he's serving real wine for communion. I'm like, he gets this little tiny bit. Like, yeah, why bother? <laughs> it comes with bread. And like, oh yeah, apparently he had the highest conversion rate in the whole brigade. And, oh, uh, whatever yeah, the was, Lord wants to use. That's the way oh, I look yeah. at it. He was, he so was, she bought furniture and you didn't have to sweat. She it. bought furniture, but that wasn't the news she wanted to tell me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> turns out while I was in Iraq uh, or in Kuwait making my ultimatum to God, you will do this, this, and this. She was in Texas making a deal with God. God, if you bring them back in one piece, I promise you, I will bring them to church and the rest is up to you. Wow. And uh, So she said that to you in the car. She was telling me and she was confessing to me because she needed to now live up to her part of the oh, deal. God mm-hmm. brought her husband home in one piece. And I'm like, you know, at the time I'm like, oh man, this, this silly woman, she, she made a deal with God. Um, but I knew it meant a lot to her. I could hear it in her voice. And she was really worried I was going to say no and ridicule it. And, and I probably was about to, you know, I was very arrogant, probably still am actually. Uh, but instead of like scoffing, I just say to her, you know, if you made a deal, you made a deal. And, you know, like in my head by virtue and valor, you know, the right thing to do is to honor our deals. Mm. And so if you made a deal, we got to honor it. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. Do you know where we're going for church? She's like, no idea. Hey, ask Daniel from your, your, your section because he's a Christian and he probably goes to a really cool church. He seems like a cool guy. So we wound up going to that church. Uh, very different from what we were used to. Um, and yeah, I think two years later, uh, well, within a few months, we moved to Corpus Christi, Texas. And maybe another year and a half later, I'm in church and the pastor says, all right, to the, to the whole congregation. Uh, God's put it on my heart to say to everybody, you've been coming here, dipping your toe in the water enough. 
now's the time to dive in. You know what you're mm-hmm. getting into. So go mm-hmm. for it. Wow. What? He, he's got our house bugged. I don't know. There's cameras. He, how does he know? How does he know? <laughs> uh, and so I received Christ in 2005. And, wow. uh, but two, maybe three years later, it kind of hits me um, that, you know, we're talking originally. So all this is because we talked about all those times when God had his like hand in my life before I was a believer. And we're studying, I think, Romans uh, about how we're a new creation in Christ. And we got to be renewed every single day. And while we're studying this, it hits me. My own words in my prayer saying, God, if you're real, you will replace me with a husband who will love my wife better than I can. Mm-hmm. And a father to my children who will love them as if they were his own and they would not know the difference. And I was wow. like, I just started bawling right there in front of all these men. They're like, is Jerry okay? What's going on? And uh, I was like, as soon as I can speak English, guys, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what's going on if I can figure it out. So it wasn't wow. until the next week when we met again, I was able to tell them, this is what I went through. In that wow. moment, you're all studying the book of Romans. And God pulled me aside and said, hey, I want to hit you over the side of the head with something else here and uh, go with it. Boom. <laughs> Just so, so back up, you were in a Bible study or was it church? Uh, it was Bible study. So you were uh, talking about scripture, but somehow you were reminded of the deal you'd made with God. Yes. And he actually made you into that man. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. I want yes, you to that's be clear here. what I'm trying to say here. Yes. yes because when uh, you first told me the deal and I thought, wait, he's not divorced. So God must've transformed him into the prayer yes. that he had prayed for. Isn't yeah. that so like uh, God? Because at this point, <laughs> my wife and I are now like the city <laughs> ministry directors for Corpus Christi uh, with family life ministries. Wow. So we're, we're recruiting couples to go out and get couples to come to this weekend to remember conference. We're attending this ourselves. Hmm. Uh, we not only, I wasn't only participating in a men's Bible study, we had led a couple's like small group. Um, and so there was that. And then I was just really committed to being there for my kids. So uh, I wound up losing my job in like 2006. And rather than diving back into a nine to five job, um, I decided to become a real estate agent and take a crack at working from home, uh, which served a purpose. So for a good five years, I got to work from home. We struggled financially. But I was there for my kids uh, when they had school events to take them to school, when they came home from school, and and just to be a part of their lives and to see their excitement when they came home from school and dad was there. Wow. wow. And, and, you know, those, those are just things that I, I decided years ago, that's the kind of father I'm going to be if I ever get to be a dad. And, mm-hmm. and of course, having come back from war, not having died, it was like, life's so fragile, you know, like mm-hmm. this is the time I've got with my kids while they're little. Now mm-hmm. they're a little bit older and it's still all the time I get with them, get with them. And now that they're in high school, it's like, I'm lucky to get time with them. And, um, you know, it's paid off and just to have kids who, you know, reach out to Olivia and I and say hi on a regular basis. Um, you know, my daughter will let me know that she misses me. I'm like, oh, that's why you're my favorite daughter, you know? Um, <laughs> and you know, it's just, well, know, it's looking. a gift. It's a gift. It's kind of like when someone, uh, faces a life and death situation, which is what you did. But I was thinking more in health in terms of health where they thought they were going to die and then they're, they're healed or they get better or whatever. And I think we start living a better life that way because yeah. God, the Lord says, you know, to count our days. Why? So that we live a, so that we have a heart of wisdom. And yeah. that's what God has done in your life. And now through 
um, your ministry of uh, to so many people, Jerry. You know, my podcast is on legacy. What would you say is the legacy you want people to um, know you for? Uh, um, I think very much what Beyond the Rut is doing. So, you know, we're looking at life in terms of five areas, our faith, our family, our fitness, our finances, and just our outlook on future possibility. Uh, and so in a nutshell, I mean, first and foremost, our relationship with Jesus Christ, because um, that, that pretty much sets the tone for everything else. Uh, and then from there, the, the next most important relationship on this planet isn't with my boss or my boss's boss or with politicians. My most important relationships with my wife. And then that's followed by my children. And I guess grandchildren eventually show up. I'm not in a rush. Uh, hopefully my kids aren't either. Uh, and so, so, your, so your legacy would be keeping these relationships first and foremost. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to live a life where, um, so a combination of things. Uh, for me personally, um, to, to show my kids that in the end, the thing that mattered to me most was my family. And that was driven by God, and then prioritizing God, family, so God, marriage, family, in that order. Mm. Um, the finances piece, the health piece, or just tools to get you as far as you could go. And then the outlook on future possibility is that there's always room for hope and hope for a better future, hope for God's kingdom on earth, and that we get to be that example. So I don't know how you sum that up in one sentence, um, but I mean, you've known me long enough that to sum things up in one sentence or two is a, it's a big challenge. Um, but yeah, just having a life well lived and encouraging others to also just go through life without regretting that they didn't do a thing. Hmm. And um, yeah, a life without regret that is uh, that's a top priority. Yeah. What would be your favorite um, or best advice that you've heard or given? to help someone get unstuck if they're living in this nine to five rat race and they go, wow, that's me, but how do I start or how do I get yeah. unstuck? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is that realization of life really is just too short to live it stuck in a rut. You know, it's like, I think a lot of us get stuck in that rut because we're trying to live through life as safely as possible. Mm. And it's like, is life really about getting to the grave as safely as you can? Or is it about living as full of a life as possible? And, and to discern between just living for the adrenaline versus really truly living a meaningful life. Um, so having that realization is first and foremost. I think once you have that aha moment, then you can start mapping out what's most important to you. What are your values? So for me, it's living by virtue and valor. Freedom is another one. To be able to go where I need to go, when I need to go. Um, is a big thing. And, and so, you know, going back to when I was 30 and I felt stuck and in the rat race, it's because I realized I can't go on a mission trip. Mm. I've got a mortgage to pay. I can't take my family on a, a vacation because I've got to put them in school. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and, and we got bills to pay and we will get in trouble with the law and, and, you know, stuff like that. So having freedom was another. So knowing your values, I think, if I, bring myself back here. So number one, that aha moment, life's too short to live stuck in a rut. Number two, know what your values are, what you stand for. You know that one of my questions is what obstacles did you have to overcome 
I think you've answered it, but is there a particular obstacle you had to overcome or a change that you had to make? I think it was to pay off your bills with something very yes. practical, very practical. Anything else you want to add there? Um, to be a better communicator. So, I mean, it was an inside oh. job. So, you know, finance was a big measuring stick of like, how well are we doing as far as freedom goes? I was horrible at communicating this to my wife and, you know, making her feel safe. So whenever mm -hmm. I talked about finances, I was making her feel that we were going to eat beans and rice forever and that we were never going to enjoy life. Um, and that was the opposite. Like I was thinking so far into the future and she's very much a in the moment kind of person. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to uh, communicate in a way that made her feel safe, feel heard. Um, so yeah, that, that would be another that's obstacle. great. That's yeah. so great. And, you know, I speak a lot about, or maybe you don't, I speak a lot about hospitality and how, um, and I don't mean just having people in, I mean, how our lives, uh, show off the fact that God has invited the world into his life. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you do or how do you live that embodies God's welcoming heart? Ah, I think the biggest thing is, and this is what gets my, uh, many of my Christian friends to call me uh, a bleeding heart liberal, is um, you, you don't see us as a family judging anybody who is LGBT, uh, who had uh, children out of wedlock, who are poor. Um, you know, it's, those marginalized people are the very people Jesus went to go help Amen. and be a part of and to acknowledge and restore their dignity. And um, so every chance we get, even when we catch ourselves coming off as pretentious, uh, we, we're pretty good about, well, I hope pretty good about, all right, we got we, <laughs> we to, like, don't show up in that car ever again. And, and don't show up dressed up in these clothes ever again. That's, we're just rubbing it in people's faces. Or um, we got to let people know that we didn't always have the blessings we have now. Right? And we just got to show what we've got. Yeah. Uh, so show what we've got and then invite them into our lives and let them see the warts as well. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I don't get the whole idea of judging other people because that job's been taken and uh, God is my judge. And that's what I need to concern myself with because right? I have yeah. a lot of warts myself. Jerry, you wanted to offer a resource to our listeners today. Can you explain what that is and how they yeah. can get it? Uh, so I'm a big fan of goals, written goals, mm. not just written goals, but a vision for what is my life going to look like? Uh, because I've, I've lived by one since I was 14. Uh, so we have at Beyond the Rut, a tool called Measure It to Make It. Mm. Um, so if you want to get it forward and succeed in anything, you got you to gotta be able to measure your progress. Where did you start from? Where are you going? And how are you doing today? So measure it so you can make it. Measure it to make it is the title of it. Uh, it's a resource that'll guide you through how do I establish what is my why, my purpose in life? What are the values I stand for? Now, what does that translate into as far as what I want to achieve in life and accomplish hmm. before it's my time to go? Hmm. Um, and then from there, how do you write smart goals? How do you break up, you know, a big dream into milestones and goals and objectives? Um, it's about 15 pages or so. It's electronic. You can get it for free. Uh, go to beyondtherut.com slash goals. Okay. Yeah. And do you, are you, um, your wife lives in the current life right now and you live yeah. more in reaching goals. How do you make those two things work together? And did you have to drag her kicking and screaming to help fill out those 15 pages with you? No. Um, <laughs> she let me go Moses, I guess. Like, you sent me off to go. Well, when I say I didn't go up a mountain, yeah. um, but once a year I go into like my studio or I sit alone for almost a day Wow. and I look at my vision 
my goals, my life plan. What have I done this year? What do I want to do in the next year, two years, five years, and so on? Um, what does that look like for the whole family? And where do I leave room for the family to have their say in this? And so when I'm done, I present it to my wife. Like, this is still where I want to go. This is what's still on my heart. This is the impact I still want to make. Um, and then here are the things I think I need to do this year to get there. Wow. And then financially, these are the things I would need to have in place to pull off this. Um, does that look okay? Or is it encroaching too much on what, what we have you're doing? Okay. Yeah. And she, I'm sure you let her have her two cents, if not more. Oh yeah. Her yeah. input into what that is. Well, I think that's exciting. It increases your, um, I think it's, it's exciting to live that way as a, as a couple and what you're looking for, except when you are married to someone who's a little different, it's, you just have to work on compromise, that good old wonderful word we don't like, but yes. we need to do <laughs> to make well, us we, happy. We start yeah. to leverage our, uh, our, I guess, quirks or patterns. So, um, like when my wife is up and about, you know, her hope is that I want to spend every moment I can with her. So it's like, where do I find time to podcast? Where do I find to re time to read, write a book, all those things? Well, I'm an early riser. She is not. And oh. so um, where in the early years of our marriage, she was hoping and insisting I stay in bed. Uh, I think she finally understands I cannot stay still. <laughs> like the moment my eyes are open, my brain is on, I've got to get out, get moving. And so her allowing that time from about 5 a.m. until she's out of bed about 8 or 9 a.m., that's a three to four hour window I've got where it's do the things that are on my heart to go do. Mm. And then she's going to be up soon. So get breakfast ready and, you know, give her time to wake up. Don't, don't show up like Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Like, Hey, what are we doing today? And, I know and, I'm the same way. And my husband will go, what's for lunch? I go, don't talk so loud. I just can't yes. hear it. I need my coffee first. <laughs> well, Jerry, this has been so great. I know we could talk for another hour, but we won't. I know your story is even in more detail on uh, Meg's uh, podcast, Letters from Home. So if you want to hear more about Jerry's story and how God has uh, continued to transform his life, um, I would recommend that as well. I'll put the link. I'll put the link from her podcast in my show notes. Uh, Jerry, is there anything last uh, that you want to share that we didn't get to? Oh man, just that reminder that life is too short to live it stuck in a rut. So mm. whatever it is you got on your heart, today's the day to get started. Thank you. Such a blessing. You're great. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here. <laughs>